as we get into our passage this morning, we're in Isaiah 9, looking at the names of Jesus. And last week we said there's significance in a name. And uh, I got so many comments after the sermon uh, of people, some people talking about Star Wars. Uh, I'll let you go listen to the sermon for context on that. Uh, But so many other people were talking about names, uh, the meaning behind their name, how they got their name, if they liked their name. And then their kids' names, how they chose their kids' names. And we all saw there's significance in a name. And as you look at the Bible, you see that's the case. As God changes somebody's life, a lot of times he would change their name. And so you think of Abram to Abraham. You think of Jacob to Israel. You think of Saul to Paul. There's significance in a name, and no more significance than in the name of Jesus, that he is the name above every name. And we see all the names of Jesus in Scripture. There's a lot of them. Uh, We're just covering a few in Isaiah chapter 9. When you see all of these names, there's significance in the names that are given to Jesus. They describe what he's like. They describe his his character, his nature. They describe his person and his work, their significance in the name of Jesus. And last week, we looked at this first name in Isaiah 9, in verse 6, Wonderful Counselor. Today, we're looking at the next two names because they really go together, Mighty God and Everlasting Father. And some of you, if you're new to church, and maybe you came because it's Christmas season, you're like, I'll I'll sing some Christmas songs, I'll hear the the Christmas story, and and we're in Isaiah 9 in the middle of your Bible in the Old Testament. And you're thinking, Tim, where where are the shepherds? Where's the manger? I mean, I'm no Bible scholar, but I think, I'm pretty sure Jesus is born in the, the New Testament, not the Old. What's going on here? Well, I would say, again, go back and listen to last week's sermon. We, we set a lot of that up, but just a quick recap of the context here. We're in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Uh, we read 1 through 7, the whole context, last week and saw that Isaiah is a prophet. And that as you look in the Old Testament, prophets are people who would speak for God. They would give a warning sometimes. They would give direction. They would pray over the people sometimes. And then sometimes they would give a future declaration of what was to come. And that's what we see and that's what we have in Isaiah chapter 9. This takes place about 600 to 700 years before Jesus. And the Jewish people he's writing to in this context are living in difficult times. They have an enemy coming against them in the empire, the nation of Assyria. They have turned away from God. Isaiah talks about they're living in darkness. And so they're going their own way. They're not following uh, God and his will for their lives. They're going their own way and following their will for their own lives. And they're living in what Isaiah calls in this passage, gloom, darkness, and burden. But in the midst of this harsh reality, Isaiah proclaims hope. And in the midst of your harsh reality this morning, Isaiah is proclaiming hope because it's prophecy about what is to come. And he tells us what is coming. That the source of our hope is not some things you can do to right your wrongs, some ways you can clean up your past or work your way to God. No, our hope is in a child that is born, a son that is given who would transform everything. And so as you look at this passage, everything gets transformed. That Isaiah is proclaiming hope for the Jewish people. He's proclaiming hope in the future for us as as this child would would come, this son would be given, and he'll transform everything. And you see in the passage, gloom becomes glorious. 
Darkness becomes light. Burden becomes joy. And the child he's describing that would do all of that, listen, is Jesus Christ. And so Isaiah is proclaiming the hope of Christmas 600 to 700 years before Christmas happened. Do you see it? And we get to experience that today. We get to look to that same Jesus, that same source of hope today. And today we look at these two names of Jesus, Mighty God and Everlasting Father. First, Mighty God. Jesus is God. He was fully man, so Isaiah makes it really clear. He was born as a child. A son is given to us. So he's fully man, but he's also fully God. Jesus is God, and he's mighty, so he's strong. He's powerful. He's so mighty that it says in verse 6, every government in the world can sit on his shoulders. You ever think about that? I know a lot of you have seen this verse on a Christmas card or, or sang it and handles Messiah, but do you ever think about what that means? That he carries all authority for all eternity. And so for us, practically today, that means our government. So all the people right now that are being appointed to the government or are graciously declining that appointment and removing themselves from consideration, that all the people that are being elected to our government in this day, we just experienced that, that all the people that are challenging that election and wondering if it was accurate, that every structure, that every aspect, that every person, that every position, that every appointment or lack thereof, that every government and every piece of our government in our country sits on the shoulders of Jesus. The government will be on his shoulders because he's mighty. He can carry them and he can carry you. And it's not just our government. Right, Isaiah, I don't know if this is going to crush you. Isaiah is not talking about the government of America. Right? He's talking about every government. He's talking about every authority, every institution across the globe that it all, just picture it, it all sits on the shoulders of Jesus. This child that would be born, this son that is given is mighty. He, he's mighty God. And every government sits on his shoulders. And I know this morning, for different reasons. Some of us, it's because of the Christmas season. Some of it's because of the election. Some of it's because of where our nation's going, not just in this election, but the last several years, and everything seems like it's going down the drain, and you begin to get scared. Anybody resonate with that? You begin to worry. Like, what's going to happen with my freedoms? What's going to happen with my, my kids? What kind of world are they going to grow up in? What's going to happen with my retirement? What's going to happen with my, my stocks? What's going to happen with all those things? And a lot of us, particularly at this Christmas season, we're worried, we have anxiety, we're scared. Listen, you don't need to just take Isaiah 9-6 out of the box at Christmas or on the Christmas card. You need to look at this every day. That this is the promise that we have, that one would come, that's Jesus, who would be mighty, who would carry every government, who would sovereignly work even when we don't understand it, even in the appointments and the elections that we don't understand, even in the climate that we're currently in, that God, Jesus Christ, is in control, that he has the power, he's strong, he's mighty. That should give you comfort in the midst of your worry, does it? Does it? 
Do you take comfort, not in a, a president or a government, but in an eternal king? Because that's the reality. If you follow Jesus, that's who you know. You know a baby that was born in a manger, a son that is given, but you also know the eternal king who rules the earth and who's king of the entire universe. The government sits on his shoulders. He's a mighty God. But he starts out as a child, as a son, in a manger with some shepherds. There's your shepherds. It's interesting. If you look at verse 6, it's not just a child. Look at that verse with me. You need to pay attention to this detail. It's not just a child. It's a son. It almost seems repetitive, doesn't it? As you've seen this verse before, a child is born, a son is given. Well, it seems like Isaiah is just repeating himself, but that's very intentional on his part. Jesus comes as a child, but not just any child, right? He comes as God's own son. He says in the text that he's given to us. That word given in the original language is to provide for. So God makes provision for us, not just in a sign but in his own son. An author I follow said this week, he said, he who upholds the universe by the word of his power was swaddled. You think about that? He's referencing Hebrews 1, that great verse that talks about that Jesus sustains the universe by the power, his word, that that same Jesus, who sustains the universe by the power of his word, is the same baby Jesus in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas. He's mighty God, but he's given to us as a child, but not just any child, the son of God. God makes provision to us through this baby who would also be this mighty God. Listen, if the Christmas story has become old hat for you, or repetitive, or boring? Could it be that you've lost sight that Jesus is not just a baby, he's mighty God? Could it be that in our culture that we we do the lights and we sing the songs and even maybe like joy to the world, we don't have much joy when we're singing it, right? But we, we go through the motions and we sing it and we sing, happy birthday, Jesus. We, we love the little songs. We love the little traditions about Jesus. We even love the verses. And maybe some of you even in here, you're not even a Christian, but you have. You celebrate the birth of Jesus on your mantle with a little wooden nativity scene. Some of you, and maybe you have friends or neighbors like this. I know none of you do this, but you, have, you go above and beyond. You have the inflatable Jesus in your yard. Because we love the cute little manger scene. We'll drive up, see lights, and and walk through a manger scene. Even if you don't know Jesus, have you ever thought about that? Why is that? Because we're comfortable with the baby. We're not so uh, comfortable with the king, right? I don't think I'll ever get this out of my mind, but Talladega Nights. Somebody said amen. Amen. Will Ferrell, right? Little sweet baby Jesus. That's the way I like to think of him. Deer, eight pound, six ounce, newborn baby Jesus. I think that the reason that's resonated with most of us in here, the reason you're laughing, that's a, a movie that's been out for a long, long time. It's ingrained in our memories. I think the reason is because that's definitely a, an exaggeration of the truth, 
But how true is that to our society today? We love the little baby Jesus, not so much the Jesus who died on the cross and shed blood for our sin. Not so much the Jesus who didn't stay dead, but who rose on the third day, who ascended on high, who comes back in Revelation 19 with a sword coming out of his mouth, with flames for his eyes, with a a, a tatted up thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Not so crazy about that Jesus, but we love the little newborn, eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. You see, I think what happens at this time of year and different seasons of, of the year is we try to put Jesus in a box, right? And we think, well, I really like Jesus like this. I'll, I'll participate in these traditions, but, but he's going to stay in that box. You need to know as you look at the Bible, he doesn't fit there. He doesn't fit in your box. He doesn't fit in our culture's box. He doesn't fit in some of our church's boxes, That he's beyond that. I want you to think about this and consider, is Jesus an innocent lamb who was slain? Help me out here. Is Jesus the innocent lamb who was slain? Yes. Is Jesus also a lion who is powerful? Is Jesus a baby born in a manger? Is Jesus mighty God who conquered Satan's sin and death? Yes. Yes. To all of those questions, the answer is yes. So in the Christmas season, our culture and our songs, and even us with our mangers in our yards, we can try to put Jesus in a box, but he won't fit there. He's bigger than we can ever imagine. He's the baby that's born to us. He's the son that's given to us, but he's also the mighty God. He's sustaining the entire universe with the power of his word, but he's also swaddled like a baby. Listen, friends, if you're, if you're bored with that, if this is old hat, if this is uh, just something you do and you sing a song, Joy to the World, but you don't really smile, you're not really joyful, you need to come back to the actual Christmas story, to the real Jesus, the lion and the lamb, the baby and the king, the mighty God. This is who Jesus is. It's his name. And Isaiah is proclaiming that because that's where our hope is. You see the fulfillment of this prophecy. Remember, this is prophecy of what's to come. You see that in the New Testament. You see it in multiple places. I think of a book like Mark. Uh, The first six chapters alone, what you see is Jesus cast out demons. He, He heals incurable conditions like leprosy and paralysis. He raises the dead to life. He calms a storm, he feeds the 5,000, and he walks on water. That's the first six chapters. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he puts this name, Mighty God, on display, that there could be no doubt that Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 9-6. He is Mighty God. You see it in Revelation 19, I already mentioned it, when Jesus comes again, He rides in from heaven on a white horse with eyes like fire and a sword coming out of his mouth. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He puts this name, Mighty God, on display. And I was thinking about it. If it were up to me, which it's not, I would have had Jesus come like this the first time. Right? 
I would have had Jesus show up, not as a baby, but as, as this mighty God, as this king, this ruler of the entire universe. I mean, the sword coming out of the mouth, the flames for his eyes, his thigh tatted up with king of kings and lord of lords. Because if Jesus would have come like that the first time, then everybody would know what Isaiah is proclaiming. Jesus is God. Right? Do you ever think about that? Why didn't he come like this the first time? Well, luckily, I'm not in charge, and God had a purpose, and there's lots of reasons. I just want to give you three. The first one is this. The reason Jesus, this mighty God who also comes as a baby, the reason he came that way specifically, one, is to pay for sin. 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He came as a baby, grew up to be a man so he could die in our place for our sin. That's why he came as a baby. That's why he grew up as a man. The second reason we see is that he shows us grace and truth. John 1 talks about that he comes full of grace and truth. Hebrews 4 says we don't have a high priest who can't empathize with us. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And so we can approach the throne of grace because Jesus understands life is hard, temptation is real, and I'm going to be with you through it. And not only just be gracious to you, I'm going to give you truth to defeat sin along the way. That is why Jesus came as a baby. The third reason is that he shows us what God is like. We're going to get into that with the second name, Everlasting Father. But if you think about it, if Jesus would have come as the mighty king, as the warrior that Isaiah describes that we see in Revelation 19, if he would have come like that the first time, maybe, maybe some of your friends and family, maybe there would be no debate. Maybe they would just say, oh, yeah, Jesus is God. I mean, I can't, I can't think of any other way to describe it. I mean, maybe your, your Mormon friends your Jewish friends. I mean, maybe there would be no debate. But we'd also be left without the payment for sin, uh, an example of grace and truth, and a, a vivid picture of what God is like. That God in his ultimate design and wisdom, that he says, first, I'm going to send this fully man, this baby, to pay for sin, to show grace and truth, to show you what God is like, to help you live in victory over sin, to help you live for me, to show you what that looks like, and then I'm going to come again as mighty God. You can try to put Jesus in a box. You can try to say, well, if he just did it this way, if he was just this, if he would just do this, he won't fit in our boxes. He's infinite, we're, we're finite. He had a purpose, and I want, to, I want to show you that purpose of showing us what God is like. That's the second name we see in Isaiah 9, Everlasting Father. That term everlasting means eternal, that Jesus' beginning wasn't in a manger, that he's the eternal Lord. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, and he's Father. That idea in the original language is that Jesus is the source or author of all eternity, that he's the Father of everything. Now, an important distinction we need to make here is that Jesus doesn't replace God the Father. And so we believe in the Trinity. You see it throughout Scripture that there's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is God the Son. So he's, he's not replacing God the Father. That's not what Isaiah is describing. He's representing him. And so you see it in the New Testament. You see it in places like Colossians 
where Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God. You see it in Hebrews, where he's described as the exact imprint of his nature. You see Jesus himself say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. No one gets to the Father but through me. John 1, it says, all who believed in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus doesn't replace God the Father. He represents him. Do you see that? It's an important distinction. He holds the key to the eternity. That Jesus says, who can get into heaven? That Jesus was there in the beginning in creation. That Jesus is the sustainer. That Jesus shows up on the earth to show us what God is like. He, he represents the Father. He doesn't replace the Father. And so you want to know what God is like? Go read the Gospels. Go read about how Jesus preaches to the masses. But how also Jesus sits down and has dinner with a tax collector. Go read about how Jesus walks with people and prays with people and and talks with people and lives with real men and women just like you and me. This is why Jesus came as a child, so he could show us what God is like in every aspect of life. That's how we know God as Father. It's through Jesus who represents him so well that we have, through Jesus, a vivid picture of what God is like. He's everlasting Father. And I want you to think about that image for a second, father. Some of you don't have a father, at least not one who's been around. Some of you have had a bad father. Some of you have had a great father. You need to know that Jesus demonstrates everything a father should be. He's strong, but he's also loving. He's truthful, but he's also gracious. That Jesus represents our perfect heavenly father. If you think about that image, why did did God choose to depict himself as father? I don't know if you know this, but in scripture, we see God as spirit. And so God, the father, he's he's not a man like us. Jesus is the eternal God-man, but Jesus represents God, the father. But God is spirit, but he chose this throughout scripture to to talk about himself as, as father. Why did God choose that image? It's because God knew that everybody can relate to to having a father or not having a father, to having a good father or or not having a good father. And so God shows up on the scene and he says, I'm going to show you what a father is like. I'm going to do that through the image of my son, that he's going to be the image of of me who is invisible, that he's going to be the father. He's going to show you what it means to be loving and truthful, to be strong and gracious that everybody would be able to relate to that. And you see specifically in James chapter 1 in the New Testament, it talks about this. It talks about temptation and sin, and it traces it back to our Father in heaven and what we believe about him. It says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. And if you read James 1, as you, as you read temptation leads to sin and sin leads to death, he follows that up with, with this. Don't be deceived. Every good gift comes from your Father above. And as I've always read that, I don't know if you guys have, have thought this ever, but as I've read that, I would have thought he would have said something different. I would have thought he would have said something to the effect of don't be deceived. This sin that starts with temptation, 
that leads to sin, that leads to death, I would have thought that he would have said something to the effect of, it won't satisfy. Don't be deceived. I would have thought he would have said something to the effect of, don't be deceived. That sin that's tempting you right now, it's not going to bring you freedom. It's going to bring you further into imprisonment. I would have thought he would have said something like that because he's talking about the root of sin. But that's not what he says. He says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from your father. You see, many times the root of our struggle in life, it's not just because of our earthly father, however good or bad he was. It's because the root of our sin is that we don't ultimately trust and believe that God is a good father, that we are deceived. Yes, that sin will satisfy. Yes, that sin will bring freedom. We're deceived by all those things too. But but James, in chapter 1 of James, he's trying to make the point that the ultimate deception that leads to all sin that's, that's rooted deep within us is that if we don't believe that God is a good father, that every good and perfect gift comes from him, that if it's not from him, it's not good, that that anxiety you face, that addiction you face, that sin that you're lured into, that that's not from God. It's not good. It feels good, but it's not good because it doesn't come from God. And on the flip side, that obedience he's calling you into, to walk in righteousness, to be faithful, to love your spouse, to serve your friends, to love your enemies, those things that maybe sometimes we doubt, we wonder, God, are you a good father? Because that doesn't seem like a good plan. Not right now. And that he's reminding you, no, I'm good. This is good. Obedience is good. Loving your spouse forever is good. Abstaining from sin is good. That that comes from me, your father. He's a good father. Don't be deceived. And so as Isaiah talks about Jesus as the everlasting father, you need to know he is a perfect representation of God the father. And that many of us, if we could really see that and believe that and walk in that, our struggle with sin would be diminished. That struggle with anxiety, with doubt, that goes to lust, that goes to greed because you wonder, does God really have what's best for me in mind? Does he really know what he's doing? Is he really a good father? That struggle that leads you to that dark place, that if you really trusted God as father, that you would say, I know that's not good. Because that doesn't come from God. He's a good father. He doesn't want that for me. He wants good for me. And even when it's painful, I'm going to trust that. That God is a good father. Jesus represents that. That we don't need to wonder. We don't need to wonder. Like, is is God holding me or is he holding out on me? Is God protecting me right now or is he punishing me? We don't need to wonder that. Why? Because we see it in the life of Jesus. He's a perfect representation of our Heavenly Father. We can see him clearly and trust him fully. He's a mighty God, and he's everlasting Father. He's strong, and he's loving. Yesterday, my four-year-old son, Ashwin, was just breaking down, just having a rough day, disobeying mommy and daddy, screaming at everything and just breaking down about four o'clock in the afternoon and we just looked at him and said Ashwin we need to take a timeout." and he didn't like that too much Uh, and so I picked him up he's four years old so he's kind of big I picked him up like a little baby right and he didn't like that too much either but I'm stronger than he is 
And so I picked him up, my four-year-old son, just like a little baby, and I, and I began to talk to him and say, Ashwin, calm down. Hey, hey, is this yelling? Is this reacting this way? Is that helping anything? No. And I began to talk through that with him. And I had him in my arms because I'm stronger than he is. But listen, I didn't throw him across the room. Right? I didn't try to squeeze the life out of him. I, I didn't even wrestle with him or try to fight him down and just beat the, the recklessness out of him. Right? I didn't do any of that. I held him in my arms and I tried to talk through this with him lovingly as his father. And then I, I took him to his bed, and I said, Ashton, we just need to lay down uh, for a minute. We need to recalibrate our day. Oh, we just need to restart the day. And so we just need to lay down, take a few minutes, and time out. And so after several minutes, he did that. And listen, that's not always the way it goes. Right, dads? I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't always respond that way. Yesterday I did. I don't always respond that, that way. But listen, you need to know that, that Jesus does every time that in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your addiction, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your breakdown, that Jesus comes alongside you and he picks you up because he's stronger than you. He's mighty God. He picks you up. But he doesn't try to squeeze the life out of you, right? He doesn't punish you. He doesn't throw you across the room. No, he picks you up and he talks through it with you because he's loving. He's everlasting father. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's strong and he's loving. He's truthful and he's gracious. That he picks you up in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your depths. And he walks alongside you. He talks through it with you. He sets you down exactly where you need to be. Even if you don't want to be there, he equips you with everything you need to move forward through that situation. Why? Because he's mighty God, because he's everlasting father, that Jesus represents that, that Jesus shows us what that is like. And some of you are looking at your life and you're wondering, Tim, how can we really know that? Because right now for me, finances are, are tight. Relationships are tense. Like sin is creeping up on me. Sin, for some of you, is crippling you. And maybe some of you are wondering, how does Jesus, this mighty God that you speak of, that picks me up, that puts me where I need to be, this everlasting father, this God who's strong, who's also loving, this baby who's also a king. I don't know that he's in the midst of all this. How can you really know? Because it's his name. Isaiah 6, Isaiah 9, 6 is talking about the name of Jesus. Remember, there's significance in a name. It describes his character, his nature. It describes who he is, not who he tries to be, who he is in his very DNA, that Jesus is mighty God, everlasting Father. It's his name. And so if you ever doubted, if you ever wondered, is this true for me? Yes, but, but not even because of you, because of him, because it's his name, you can trust this truth, that he'll pick you up, that he'll place you where you need to be, that he'll equip you like a mighty God, like an everlasting father.
like a baby who came to bring hope, the first Christmas and for eternity. That is the Jesus. If you don't, that's the Jesus who walks alongside you, and that's who Isaiah is proclaiming to us in Isaiah chapter 9. And so what do we do with this? I want to give you a couple things just really briefly as we close of how we live this out. The, The first question I want you to ask is, what in your life is promoting distortions about or distance from this Jesus? What in your life is promoting distortions about Jesus? Maybe it is some of our cultural narratives that you've gotten wrapped up in. Maybe it is some consumerism that you've gotten wrapped up in. It's only about the shopping. It's only about the lights. It's only about the hot chocolate. It's only about the the food. And you've gotten so wrapped up in that, and you're trying to meet your shopping deadline and Amazon Prime, everything, and and you've gotten lost. and, And the image of Jesus as mighty God and everlasting Father has gotten distorted. And therefore, you've gotten distant. When is the last time you sat down and you reflected on on this Jesus, the one who upholds everything by the word of his power, who was also born as a baby? When's the last time you reflected on that and your mind was blown? When's the last time you sang joy to the world and you actually had joy? Because you, you weren't distracted, you weren't distant, no, you were intimate with God. Jesus, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. What in your life is preventing that from happening? Maybe you wake up in the morning, you have thoughts that immediately come to mind. You check Facebook, you check Twitter and Instagram, and and your mind just starts reeling. You look at your calendar for the day, and you never stop to think about, I have a mighty God and an everlasting Father that I follow and worship today. What is that for you? What's distracting you or keeping you distant from this Jesus? The second question is this. What can you put in place to direct yourself to this mighty God, to this everlasting Father in the midst of this season? Listen, it won't happen by accident. You need to put it in place. Uh, The other day, uh, my daughter asked me and my wife just at the dinner table. She just said this. She said, hey, Mommy and Daddy, what are you most thankful for in this Christmas season? That's a great question, right? We were coming off a week of all three of our kids being sick, not sleeping much through the night. And if she asked me that question, honestly, I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know right now. And so it made me pause and think, what am I thankful for? I began to study this passage, and my mind was blown of how big Jesus is. He won't fit in our box. And I began to think, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for this season. I'm thankful that we have this house. I'm thankful for food in the midst of this sickness. I'm thankful for Gatorade in the midst of this sickness, right? I'm thankful for so many things, but I had to pause. I had to be intentional. My daughter helped me with that. You need some people in your life, some things in your life to be intentional about reflecting upon Jesus, the Jesus described in Isaiah chapter 9. It won't just happen, right? You won't just wake up on Christmas Day and worship God. Not God as we see in Isaiah 9-6. Not the Jesus we see throughout Scripture. It won't just happen. What things are in place in your life, in your morning, in your day to direct you to this Jesus? You need to put some things in place. It could be a card with Scripture on your mirror. It could be an Advent devotional. It could be community. It could be worship, singing corporately with the body of Christ. I saw an interview with a guy named John Piper this week. 
a great theologian and pastor and preacher and author, and he was being interviewed, and he talked about his marriage. And he talked pretty openly, and I've heard him say this before. He talked about several seasons in his marriage that were really, really hard. And not just like, oh, yeah, there were some times that were hard. He talked about there were some times that were really, really difficult. And he said, you know what sustained me through a lot of those times? Corporate worship. And the guy who was interviewing kind of smiled because it's John Piper. And you're like, that, I don't know, that, that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm sure it makes sense, you know, to God because you're John Piper. And, um, and he smiled and he, and he sat there for a second trying to reflect on it. And he was like, you're going to have to explain that a little bit more. And John Piper said, John Piper said I'm glad you asked. And, and he began to talk about all these difficult seasons he could vividly remember with his wife even on a Friday and Saturday as a pastor, and he would come into church on a Sunday morning, and as they were singing songs before the message, he said he would think about how big God is, how glorious God is, how God is mighty, but he's also Father, how he's strong and also loving, and he would sing these words, these rich theological words to these songs, and as he was singing those songs, he would realize how big God is and how small he was, and not, not just how small he was, but how small his conflict with his wife was, and how silly his comments were to her, and how silly his selfishness was in light of who God is and all of his greatness. As he would sing about that, he'd realize it would put into perspective his conflict with his wife, and he would lean over, and he would give her a hug, and he would apologize and ask for forgiveness. What things are in place in your life that point you to Jesus, mighty God, everlasting Father, directly, intentionally, for some, of that, for some of you, that needs to be church. For some of you, that needs to be singing songs about who God is. That we realize who we are in light of who he is by looking at a, a verse on a card, on our mirror, by singing a song with the body of Christ, by reading an Advent devotional. That we realize who Jesus is. What is that for you? This morning, my prayer for you is that you would talk to, surrender to, fix your eyes upon Jesus, mighty God, everlasting Father. This is his name. This is who he is. Don't be confused. Don't get it distorted. Don't become distant. Go near to this Jesus. He is the name that is above every name. Let's fix our eyes on him. Let's pray in his name. Let's do that now. Father in heaven. I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for an opportunity to, to see who you are clearly, to see your names, your character, your nature, to see that you're mighty, but you're also Father. You're also strong, but you're also loving. God, that we would see all of that, the full gamut this morning, and we would respond in worship to that. We would sing songs about you. We would respond in forgiveness and adoration and repentance and celebration. God, whatever the case may be for these men and women right where they are, I pray that they would respond to this Jesus that we read about 600 to 700 years before he was ever born, that we would respond to this Jesus who, in Revelation 19, comes again. Father, help us, empower us, equip us to see you clearly and respond to you in a full way this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.